The Sober Curious Reset is a workbook and self-study program designed to guide you through 100 days alcohol-free. I created it to help people apply everything that I've learned over six years of leading the Sober Curious movement to your life today and to help you create a sustainable shift to your drinking going forward. Now, I know 100 days of not drinking can sound a little intimidating, but I designed it that way to give you a real taste of all the benefits of living alcohol-free. Having heard from hundreds of people who have now completed the program, I can also say with confidence that this extended, intentional break from drinking can be an absolute game-changer. Each day of content in the book poses a different sober curious question. This could be everything from what do I want to make space for in my life today to what am I trying not to feel? Along with a specific teaching on each entry, there is also an interactive exercise for you to engage with. You can get the Sober Curious Reset wherever you buy your books. And you can also join the Sober Curious Book Facebook group to connect with thousands of others who are engaged with this work. I hope to see you there. Hello and welcome to the Sober Curious podcast. I'm your host, as always, Ruby Warrington, and my guest today is the brilliant astrologer and author Bess Matassa. Bess is a longtime friend and collaborator of mine, and I knew she would be the perfect person to bring on for this episode on the astrology of addiction. Now, I know this topic might be a bit out there for some of you, but I am confident that whatever your interest in or thoughts about astrology, you will find plenty that you can relate to in our conversation while having your mind blown just a little bit along the way. Ultimately, Bess and I both use astrology less as a divination tool for predicting future events and more as a language of symbols to describe the more numinous or unknowable and unnameable aspects of being human, our felt experience of the world, basically, and the parts of being human that we are often attempting to either run towards or away from when we are reaching for alcohol and other drugs. We get into how you can use astrology for self-awareness and as a way of looking at our addictive tendencies. We also go into some specific astrological teachings that listeners can apply to their own lives. And Bess shares the details of how she came to be sober curious herself. If this is a subject that you're into and you like the way that Bess talks about it, she's also the author of The Numinous Cosmic Year, which is a total interactive guide to the astrology of 2022 and how to work with the upcoming transits in your life. I'll include details of that in the show notes, along with a code for 20% off a personal astrology reading with Bess. One final note before we start, this conversation was originally recorded as part of the Sober Voices Flow event. So thank you, Sober Voices, for having us. And now, without further ado, here is my conversation with Bess Matassa. Bess Matassa, welcome to the Sober Curious podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, cosmic creatrixes through time and space. We've known each other for a long time now and been floating in the cosmos together. So I'm so excited to be here. And thanks to Sober Voices for making this all come together. So happy to be having this conversation with you. And I, um, and this is a subject that's just kind of, it's one of those things that's like been front, front of mind for me for such a long time throughout my sober curious journey, the astrology of addiction. I love alliteration, but also, as you know, I, I do mean, too. <laughs> as, as you do too. 
<laughs> but I think, um, and there are tons of, there are so many different avenues I want to go in this conversation. But before we even kind of start unpacking the astrology bit, I'd love to speak to you or hear from you a little about your own sort of sober curious journey. Because this is something that, you know, it's come up in our friendship sort of over the years too. And I know bits and pieces um, yeah. of where you're kind of what your experiences have been with substances, substance use, substance abuse, and sobriety also. Yeah. So I'd love if we could kind of like dive in there. And then I think that will open the doorway into how astrology has been a part of that, the process that you've been through with that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about that the last few days and, you know, obviously to frame this with the caveat or the intentionality that of course, my story is not anybody else's story, nor should it be. And it's very multi-textured and multicolored, and it's in the very particular way of my life. But I think um, to summarize, you know, early on, I spent a period of time with drugs and alcohol that was uh, very vibrantly destructive, I would say, um, wildly destructive. And when I say destructive, I don't necessarily even to mean to put that on a binary of good, bad. It was just um, not always in the service of life and begetting more life. And that begat or birthed a period of time where I was um, completely abstinent, completely sober for six years. Uh, I had a couple of months where I sort of bopped around the rooms in AA and that didn't quite fit my journey. And so I just sort of sprung into the ether, leaped into the ether and was uh, ended up uh, maintaining sobriety for six years. And interestingly, and maybe this is something we end up unpacking a little bit, or maybe this is beyond the scope of this conversation. But interestingly, I picked uh, alcohol back up after six years of sobriety uh, around the same time that I became a professional astrologer, which, you know, on the surface feels almost like it should have been the opposite way. You know, a lot of people I know that have had a journey of utilizing mystical modalities or, you know, spiritual kinds of awakenings or turnarounds, it's the opposite. And astrology has been with me, you know, since I was a wee babe, you know, nine, 10 years old. So, but it was, you know, an interesting turning point anyway, and we can, you know, maybe unpack that. And so then the next, you know, cluster of years, there were periods of sobriety of varying lengths. There were periods of profoundly not sobriety. There was kind of all range and shades of experience. And I was thinking about where I find myself now and I think the best way I can describe it um, is definitely actively sober curious and always an inquiry around uh, what alcohol, what my relationship is to alcohol. And I think the best way I can summarize it is perhaps to say that I am in active inquiry around what supports more life in my life and how to back myself. And on some days that looks like having a drink and deciding that that wasn't in support of life and then not adding 50 fucking layers of shame and self-recrimination on top of that. On other days, it looks like not having a drink. And on other days, sometimes it looks like having a drink and saying, okay, in that moment, maybe that was in support of life or where I am in my life right now. And how do I also not add 5,000 layers on top of that? And, you know, I'll, I'll stop it there maybe, but there is something I've been thinking about, especially the past few days in terms of how I originally found astrology as a kid, and then how I also found alcohol and how they were sort of similarly motivated in some ways in terms of what I perceived that they were giving me. 
um, which was kind of interesting to kind of muse on and think about these past few days. Well, I would love to hear about both those <laughs> um, things. I mean, I suppose I was, yeah, I'm, I'm always really interested to hear like, what is it about alcohol and, and other substances too that that means that we end up embracing them in this destructive or kind of maybe um, over-enthusiastic way. Like what is it that these um, substances, these things provide for us? What solution are they kind of like offering us to, to something in our lives? It's interesting that you mentioned there is a comparison for you in terms of astrology. That's fascinating. Yeah. 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 Like tell tell me about that. Yeah. So, you know, and, and you know, a little bit about my journey as a, as a wee one discovering astrology, but the first book I picked up, which I think was one of your first first books too, was that Parker's astrology volume, this kind of classic astrological text. And it's still in print, I believe. And if you look at that book, there's sort of a back section where the pages are sort of like gray and brown and sort of more muted tones. And that's where you teach the person all about the technical aspects of astrology and the degrees. And at the time, it was about learning to use your compass to actually draw the chart and all of this. And then there's this set of pages that's up front in the book that chronicles the 12 signs of the zodiac. And they're in full color, they're glossy pages, and they detail almost like this kind of treasure hunt experience of astrology of where you can find each of these science energies in the world. So if you flip to, you know, the Aries page, you'll see, you know, different colors or spices or cities that these, you know, each of these signs is connected with. And when I was a kid and I found that book, I was like, damn, like this is this kind of heightened texturized way of engaging the world. I can go out on this treasure hunt and identify like, what is that cupcake? Is it Taurus? You know, what is that like, you know, a stream of light coming through that window? You know, is it Libra? And it was like a relanguaging of my world. And it was an elevation and sort of poeticizing of what felt mundane. And for me as a kid, that was one of my most primary motivations was to make this kind of larger than life experience or to elevate life beyond, you know, the, the quote unquote mundane. And when I think about my journey with alcohol and the early days, the motivations were almost precisely the same, you know, and there was a range of motivation, of course, and in every moment that might've been shifting, but there was an impulse underneath to really, um, to inject life with what I perceived to be more life, to have a heightened sensation of life and to kind of be out of the pragmatics, out of that kind of mundane experience, out of what I felt like was sort of burying me alive in kind of the the rote mechanisms of the everyday. And so I swapped or I built upon in my consciousness, this kind of poetics of interconnectivity and heightened sensation that the language of astrology was giving me and then swap that for a martini or you know what have you to to be able to kind of get a quick fix perhaps in my perception around that and so mm-hmm. i think that that was really um kind of where i see these two things intersecting in my early life and you know interestingly refinding astrology around the time you know or refinding it on a professional level around the time that i began drinking again, it was almost like, you know, and there were moments of that that were, I don't want to say okay or not okay or whatever, but there was an impulse under that that was sometimes celebratory. It was sometimes around just like everything, bring it all in, like give me the language of astrology and this heightened sensation of this drink and, you know, drug or whatever it is. And so, yeah, I've been thinking about that kind of bigness and, you know, we all have those kinds of motivations. And I think we all come to astrology too out of different 
modes of inquiry around what that's going to give us. So I'll just leave that there for the minute. It's just, I know you, obviously I know you well, I know your chart and it's making me think you're Leo moon and we (laughs) might get into a little bit of this. And for people who are a bit more savvy, like the moon sign is, it speaks very much to what we need emotionally. And Leo is a larger than life energy. So having a moon in Leo, it's almost like you need for life to feel fucking fabulous you know yeah. and what you're describing in terms of this heightened sensuality it's almost like this kind of multi-layered baroque textured kind of experience of life like everywhere you look there's something new to feel and to kind of taste and to fall in love with um, I can absolutely relate to that in terms of yeah for me other, like early experiences with other drugs like MDMA and you know just 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 anything that kind of heightened the senses and it's ironic I think that alcohol actually kind of provides that immediate hit of feeling like everything is heightened when actually what's happening is it's closing down, closing down, closing down. And I love the way you were describing the destructiveness of your drinking as being, um, I can't remember the exact words you used, but you've mentioned it a few times, this idea of like, it was creating less life. There was less of an experience of life for me in the end. I'd love to hear just a bit to stay with the sobriety piece for a bit when you first quit drinking and went like really you know cold so stone cold sober for six years what was happening in your life at that time that made you really think I need (laughs) to close the door if it's too much we don't have to go there no you know me I'm there's nothing (laughs) nothing's too much but uh at that time um you know I think if I really look back at it there were so many different motivating factors and contexts but I think and, you know, not to get too mythological here or too Freudian, because I'm not necessarily like a Freud fan. I'm sort of more on the side of Jung, not that we have to position those, you know, as, as, two, uh, as two opposites on a binary. But, um, but I think mm-hmm. that a lot of astrologers and psychological astrology, as it's sort of come, you know, into our lives in this moment, is very much descended from, you know, in some ways from the teachings of Carl Jung. Anyway, you know, there's these two kind of dual impulses that Freud posits that exist in each of us, Eros and Thanatos. And it's the, you know, Eros being the, the life, the, the kind of pro, you know, progeny, progeneration, um, communion, moving toward life, and Thanatos, this kind of, you know, the destructive force, the moving toward death. And, you know, we might think about these in astrology around something like the sun or, you know, Venus or some of these kind of life-giving forces versus something like Pluto that might take away or excavate or anyway. So I was in a period of my life that had become very heavily thanatopic, I might say. I don't think that's a word, but I'm just going (laughs) to use it anyway. Um, And, you know, contextually what was happening, it was quite... um, you know, it was quite the series of sort of dramatic external happenings. Um, I had just experienced the death of my two sort of primary um, masculine figures in my life, uh, my dad and my uncle, um, over a period of about six months, um, both in very, very violent deaths. Um, My uncle in a drunk driving accident where he crashed into a cop car, killed the cop, killed himself, Uh, my father, um, you know, in suicide. And so it was... And at the time I was living in Southern Louisiana and I was living in, I mean, it was like the story, you can't even like make, make this shit up. It was like, I was, I was involved with a person who had been like a sniper in Afghanistan. I was living in this crazy house where there were like possums living in our kitchen, eating all the food. It was like, and then Hurricane Katrina came and it was this confluence of all of these very thanatopic Plutonian forces, a lot on the, on the side of death. And 
it almost in retrospect now, I feel like I was being asked to take a stand for the other, the other principle, the other kind of side. And it didn't happen immediately. You know, I bopped around for maybe like a year or so trying to kind of like do a little bit and then not, and then whatever. And then it was just one morning in February. It was Aquarius season, which is like, you know, ruled by the planet Uranus, this interrupter, this pattern breaker. And I woke up, you know, incredibly hungover. Um, I think something kind of shitty had happened the night before, probably connected to romantic relationship because that usually was sort of how I, ex how I expressed a lot of that destructive force. And I just woke up and I was back in New York at the time and there was just like ice rain coming down outside and I was just so nauseous and so just like I was at the end and I was like, I just want to feel my life again. I just want to feel on the side of that life. And it just stopped. It just stopped. And at that point it was like, I, I decided, or I can't say only I decided because it's obviously not just about my will, but um, it was just a moment where the causes and conditions allied to create that space. And I didn't touch it for six years mm. and it just, mm. that was that, you know? And so I think that's, that's sort of a little bit of the context for that. Um, yeah. I mean, to bring a bit of AA speak into the conversation, it does sound a bit like a higher power might have intervened at that period in your life with so much destruction all around. It sounds like it could have gone a dark, could have gone a dark, dark way for you. You know, yeah. had, you not, had you not had that moment of just like, no, I'm saying yes to life now. You yeah. Know? I mean, it felt like one of the most clear kind of intersections of my life. And I don't always feel like this, like it's like this black and white, you know, these, these choices, but it really looked like you can go this way and you can, you know, shut your heart down for good and continue to burrow in with these fucking possums, you know, in this, <laughs> you know, whatever, or you can turn this way and you can crank the heart open. And you're not going to be able to create any lubrication or porosity or spaciousness to, to lube that up if you're going to continue to dull and destroy in this way. There's no mm -hmm. way. We can't plant anything. It's like fallow soil at this point. So, And so then what it sounds like when you when you did pick up alcohol again, it was coming actually from a more celebratory, like a celebratory place of like, I feel like I'm living again and I'm now ready to use this to enhance <laughs> yeah. life yeah. again. I mean, it, I mean, it really was. And I remember thinking at the time it started out sort of innocuously as like wine and food pairings where I was just really, just like really getting in. And I've always been an eater, but I was really getting into like just that sensual realm. And I was, you know, starting to kind of come out with this form of astrology I was calling sensual astrology that was all about connecting these energies to tastes and touches and smells. And so it felt very much about this kind of vibrancy in this full range. And in the beginning, it appeared that maybe I could make that work, you know, like I was like, you know, and I think you and I have talked about this, but as a kid, I had no models for anybody who just like had a drink, you know, sometimes I would go to a friend's house and like, you know, their mom or dad or whatever would have like a beer. And I'd be like, what the fuck? They're not going to drink like the case of beer. Like, what are they doing? Like, what do you mean you're going to have one drink? Because I didn't have any of that kind of modeling. Everybody in my family was either um, actively abusing substances, dead from it or in recovery. And, you know, so it was this new terrain where I was like, could I, could this be me? You know, could I just like have this really enjoyable, you know, savory red wine with this meat and just, you know, kind of have that moment and that be enough. And, you know, there were moments where it was and there were moments where it wasn't and everything in between, you know, so. Mm -hmm. 
And now here we are. So I like the way you described very honestly, kind of where you're at now. It sounds, um, yeah, just, I mean, the whole essence of sober curiosity is being in that active inquiry about life and about how you're engaging with life actually in every given moment, which to, to kind of segue into speaking a bit more about how you and I both use astrology and how it can be very helpful for us in this process of kind of inquiry with our interactions with the world um, how do you, how has, what role has astrology played for you in terms of your own kind of healing around some of these, these darker aspects of your life experience that you've shared? And it also around your, um, your sort of understanding of your relationship with alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, thinking a, a lot about this lately in terms of these kind of intertwined currents that we see in astrology. And I think a lot of you know, kind of tools of divination or mystical modalities where we talk about these sort of dual pillars of kind of fate and free will. And I don't know if I would necessarily use those words, but I think what I've been thinking about lately, and, you know, this is sort of a segue too to maybe offer up and not to get into like the nitty gritty bits of the astrological chart in this moment, but I do feel like there are these kind of dual forces that happen in astrology. And one is sort of like, us being able to move things kind of from here to here. And we think about the personal planets or the sun or the moon or Mars. It's like us kind of taking something and being like, I'm going to do this, you know, little kid style. And I'm going to put it over here versus what we might see as the outer planets in astrology, like Pluto and Uranus and Neptune that create the conditions that just move us, you know, and how do we take the shape of that? And so I think for me, so much of my work around astrology connected to my journey of, um, you know, sober curiosity and addiction has been around these kind of dual functions of both the making peace with the mechanisms in me that are kind of just like, nature, you know, for lack of a better, you know, word that kind of just like the acceptance part of just like, okay, there's, there's a certain wiring, there's certain currents here that run that want to be attended to. And then also that other mechanism of evolution of allowing myself to get moved by life and to be able to be available to sort of rise, to meet the call, to become more of what I already am. So it's this sort of embedded paradox of not paradox, but these kinds of dual mechanisms of like, okay, as you use your own birth chart to discover more and more and more about your nature, inevitably that frees up energy for you to allow, you know, allow yourself to remain intact enough to then be moved by forces that want to help you evolve. And so I think that that's sort of where, and not that it's been a linear journey, but I think a lot of my early work around astrology was just like, who the fuck am I? Like, what is this, this kind of texture of me and this flavor of me? And now as I work with astrology more and more, not that even when I do readings, it's like we tap in with, you know, personality, you know, traits or habit patterns or things of that nature. But I'm really looking at all of the 12 signs and all of the elements and all of the planets as currents of energy. They're not descriptors or prescribers or anything. So it's like, if we think we'll just, you know, take something for as an example, you know, Aries energy that starts the Zodiac, rather than saying, okay, a person with a really strongly Aries chart is going to exhibit this behavior, or they're going to be aggressive, or they're going to be proactive, or they're going to be any number of these kind of personality characteristics saying instead, okay, there's an energetic charge that runs through this person that's directed, it's kind of lean, it's focused, it's fiery, 
And so how do we wield that? How do we both like hollow the person out to let that kind of move through in an easeful way? And then also how can we use that to kind of like help them kind of navigate and evolve? I don't know if that's too abstract, but that's sort of how I've been working with it around those kind of dual principles of faith and free will. Yes, I think that was really beautifully explained. And um, exactly the fate and free will being around about issues around control, like how much control do I have over my life? And when is it appropriate for me to exercise the, an element of control? Yeah. And when is it more appropriate to ungrip? Because actually that trying to control outcomes and trying to be the one who's kind of driving all the action and making everything happen is actually bringing me pain, suffering, bringing me to yet another dead end that I've been at so many times before, when actually there's some greater force that is actually asking me to move, or just to let, allow myself to move in a different direction, perhaps in a more evolutionary or more kind of expansive direction. Yeah, yeah. Totally. And for me as well, and this is my cancer moon speaking, but I really, I love the way you've described a couple of times astrology as a way of number one, kind of connecting to the sensual world, like really kind of like utilizing or connecting to all of our five senses, whether it's, you know, all the, uh, uh, absorbing and experiencing the world in a way that's not purely mental, you know, it's not purely analytical, but a very felt sense of the word, like physically, sensually felt sense of the world. But then you also described it as a way of understanding, like, what is the texture of me? And for me, so much of my own quitting like non-drinking I struggle to use the word sobriety for to describe myself but um for me not drinking or not using that specific substance has been very much about re-engaging with my felt experience of life and really kind of (laughs) realizing how um little emotional intelligence I have developed as an adult in particular you know Mm. and that actually when I can really kind of marry my kind of logical analytical thought kind of understanding of the world perception of the world and give equal import to the feelings that are coursing through my body and giving me so many messages and so many yeses and nos and so many um yeah just other portals of inquiry and understanding about what's happening for me for me astrology like all of these words that we use like whether it's the names of the signs whether it's you know, the, the aspects, the, the planets, even they're all described. They're all words that describe different, as you said, textures, but perhaps we could even just say feelings, you know, or different kind of sensual felt feeling tones in a way. So that is one way that it's been very helpful for me. And this is why, you know, it it relates to my platform, the numinous, (laughs) which you've been a collaborator with for many years, but numinous speaking as well to that really kind of felt intuitive experience of the world, which is so often sidelined in this very information heavy landscape that we inhabit, you know? Yeah. And I love, you know, that, that concept of like these feeling tones too, because, you know, as you know, and this might be sort of an abstract leap if you're just starting out in astrology, but, you know, for me, each of these 12 sign archetypes, it's like you have this little arsenal or this little backpack you know, and you can sort of reach in and see like what's needed in this moment, the same way that you would use spices from a spice cabinet to kind of like enliven a different, you know, a dish. And so it's like, we contain all 12 of these signs in different concentrations through the energy of our natal chart. And at different moments, different archetypes, you know, and when I say archetypes, I just mean sort of a universalized energy 
step forward and seek to ally, you know, with us. And so, you know, if you're listening and you're just sort of starting out in astrology, or even if you're not, I think it can be um, useful too to just sort of like strip things down to like the basic four elements. Um, and, you know, we sometimes forget, and there's a whole, this is a whole other conversation around why astrology has become so kind of tech heavy in some iterations and so seemingly impenetrable. But when we really strip away a lot of that, and if you're looking at your birth chart and like, oh my God, like I'm lost in this like sea of lines, remember that these are just four elements and they're, they exist in the world all around you at any moment. And it's like, you already know this language. So if you think about fire you know, and, and you might just do this as kind of a little check-in even in this moment around, you know, what you might be inclined or sort of drifting into and what you might need to kind of pull out of your backpack. You know, you think about fire, it warms, it cooks, it heats, it brings alive, you know, it's sort of the force of creation. It comes out of nowhere. You know, we strike a match, we turn on a burner and we're like, boom, there's fire. You know, or if we think about earth, what does it do? It holds us, you know, it gives us form, you know, it gives us sort of tastiness, touchability, all of those principles. And, you know, if we think about air, breath, changeability, respiration, exchange, and the way that light shifts, the way that clouds shift through the sky, and, you know, thinking about water, a similar kind of shiftiness, but also a feeling of like depth and a kind of, um, you know, what's sort of percolating beneath the surface of things. And so I think it can be an interesting just in terms of giving ourselves what we need in a certain moment or tapping in both with those kind of dual principles of both like our nature, because, you know, historically, we probably gravitate toward one or two of these elements a little more maybe than the others. And then also saying, okay, what's needed in this moment? What can I sort of invite in can be an interesting point of inquiry, I think. I think this is, I was going to go to elements next, actually. Yeah. And I think, and so that's great that you've opened that conversation, but I think this would be a really good point for people who are perhaps more new to astrology. And then also um, for those who who have more of an understanding, but perhaps would like to um, just get some framing to help with the way that we're talking about it here. Could you just give us a really um, quick primer on what a birth chart is and specifically what you said about um, all of us, all of us contain the energy of all of the signs. Cause I think that's quite, for someone who's new, they're like, yeah. wait, I'm an Aries. What do you what mean? Are you so, about? I'm not a <laughs> so that piece, um, and then perhaps we can go into a little bit of a deeper exploration of the elements to give people who are listening, like some reference points where they can actually start thinking about, okay, so I can now apply some of this to my own relationship with substances. Yeah. Yeah. So a birth chart, um, just, just a total, yeah, a total sort of, um, uh, a quick and dirty encapsulation of it is basically just a snapshot of the planets as they were arranged in particular signs of the time that you popped into this incarnation. So if you're just starting with knowing your sun sign, you know, the sun was in, say you're a sun in Gemini, the sun was moving through the sign of Gemini at the time that you were born. Um, but the day and that you- just to interject, the oh, signs are named for constellations in the sky. Yeah, although Western astrology has decoupled from the constellation mode of aligning with them, that's a whole other. We're gonna keep it. We're gonna keep it simple. Okay. Yeah. It's like level level three yeah, there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, so when you look at your own birth chart, you see your sun sign, and it looks like a little donut with a little hole in it, and then you see all these other symbols around that chart that may be placed in different signs, and so it's just that kind of distillation of 
the markings of you at the moment that you kind of entered and where the planets were aligned in different, you know, in different science energies. And so um, what was your second, uh, sorry, your second question? So just to kind of like to, to double down on what you were saying there, that means that as much as we have a sun sign and there's a lot of emphasis, particularly in Western astrology, where we live in a very yang masculine kind of solar um, world, yeah. um, you have a sun sign and that's what we know as our sign, but then you equally have a moon sign, a Mars sign, a Venus sign. Yeah. And each of those signs will be one of the different 12 signs. Yeah. But then even if you don't have a planet in one of those 12 signs that are represented in the, the birth chart in its entirety, you still have a full chart. We all are born with a full chart that contains the energy of all of the 12 signs of the Zodiac. Yeah. And so, you know, these kind of this conversation that happens, your birth chart is sort of like this little biosphere where different energies are talking to other energies and creating, you know, hopes and dreams and fears and, you know, all of the kind of texture of you. And then, you know, as you're saying, Ruby, we also have all of, even if it's like an empty, if we look and we see that Gemini is in our chart, but there might not be a planet there, it's still there. You know, it still is, is inviting us into an integration of that. And so, you know, we can play around with how that happens. Like sometimes people like to play around with when we're in Gemini season, for example, you might be sort of in Gemini season. I just mean when the sun's moving through Gemini and you'll hear this, you know, talked about if you're, even if you're newer to astrology, we're in Gemini season now, you know, which happens from late May through late June each year. And so, you know, we can kind of like practice trying on these different energies at different times of year, perhaps, or just at different, you know, moments of our lives where we're like, oh, you know, maybe I don't have a single planet in Sagittarius, but damn, like, you know, that archetype looks really interesting to me. It looks like something I really want to invite in to help equilibrate in this moment. And, you know, can I kind of activate that energy within myself? So it both teaches us where we have kind of concentrations and natural proclivities, that sort of nature part of us. And it teaches us where we're meant to be reaching a little bit sometimes um, for integration, because we want to collect them all. It's like, you know, think about your like building your little cosmic capsule collection, you know, you want to have them all in your arsenal. And, you know, chances are, even if you don't reach for them consciously, they'll present at different moments. Like even as an astrologer, you know, since the age of nine, for years, I was like, I don't understand Aquarius energy at all. And then like, lo and behold, Aquarius came to play when it was ready in the form of like meeting deeply Aquarian people or having, you know, situations that felt very Aquarian in my life. And I was open to it. So it's like just sort of thinking about these as sort of a self-contained system or language of the expansive potential of all of the different modes of being that we have within us. So on the elements tip, it's actually interesting. And I'll share something about from my own experience, which I think will open up the discussion around the elements a bit, which, like I said, will give people who are listening something that they can immediately take away and kind of do some inquiry around. So I'm just real. I've only just realized as you're speaking, I have a real dearth of the air element in my chart. I only have one planet in an air, um, in an air sign. I have Pluto and Libra, but otherwise no other air. And I'm thinking about that's interesting the the main reason I used alcohol was to be more social mm. and air signs. The air element is about exchange between it's communication. It's um, social networks. Oh it's God. like group activities. It's like how we, how we interact with others basically, yeah. you know? And so that I share this because, Oh, that's an interesting, I'd like, I'd never noticed this before, but one of the reasons I used alcohol was to compensate for this, that lack of naturally occurring air energy in my chart. 
well, you're so like, my work. <laughs> so my work now has been to notice that and say, okay, what other ways can I play with and work with the air energy in my chart and in life? And what ways can I, and a big, big focus for me. And one thing that's really helped in my quit staying stopped from drinking is radically reimagining my social life and really noticing what kinds of social interactions actually feed me, light me up. Who do I even enjoy spending time with and being quite kind of militant around that, you know, and really kind of not pushing myself into social situations that I know I'll find draining. So that's just one example of how I've been able to use astrology to help me on my sober curious path. Well, and you're blowing my mind right now because I'm thinking about, you know, and this can be, you know, a point of inquiry, even if you're just starting out in astrology, you can look and just, you know, figure out your basic, your, your basic three, your sun, moon rising and say, okay, what elements are represented there, you know, which aren't. And if you're confused about what element a certain sign is, you know, you can just sort of Google that or what have you. But I think that what you're speaking to is so I'm having like all of these realizations in this moment because, and, you know, when we have a dearth of a particular element, it's not a problem. It's just sort of like a call for a little bit more loving attention, a call for a little bit more inquiry around how we relate to that element. And I have a strong dearth of earth and a strong dearth (laughs) of water in my chart. I mean, I have a dearth of basically everything but fire, but like, (laughs) I'm thinking about my own drinking and so much of it has been motivated over the years, both by an urge to escape certain aspects of earth in terms of the pragmatic contours of the world as it is, quote unquote, but also a connection to the body and the sensuality and that experience of the touching, the tasting, the smelling and all of that realm. And so it could be interesting, not that this is like diagnostic or anything like that, but to look at your own elemental balance in your own chart and say, you know, what's here, what's not as much here. And how do I relate to the realm that's not as present? And, you know, because usually the realm that's not as present either becomes like an obsession, you know, where we're like, Ooh, I really want in on that. Or it becomes something that we want nothing to do with and we sort of tamp down and push away. So. Or there will be very prescribed ways that the world kind of says that we should experience that that kind of element, you yeah. know? Like there are prescribed ways that we should socialize or that we should experience being in a physical body or that mm. we should experience our creative drive and impulses or that we should experience our emotional life, you know? And so often I think we're, you, we're, often we're picking up substances to kind of, correct where it feels like there are imbalances. We're picking something up because there's not enough of this or there's too much of that. And so we're reaching around us for what tools we have on hand, alcohol being a very readily available (laughs) and glamorously sociable, acceptable tool for basically modifying our emotional experience of life, for, for, for modifying the texture of our experience in that moment. And as we've described, astrology is a way for being really like, well, what is the texture of me? And so how can I actually what else can I use to kind of just, yeah, meet the world as I am with as little friction as possible, you know, or sometimes yeah. some he- healthy sometimes friction. Sometimes a lot of friction, sometimes especially if you're very friction. dominant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think actually what I wanted to do is just really quickly um, go through which, which signs are in each element, just as a kind of a quick oh. overview, just so, and then, then quickly explain like what would be yeah, like I have a, a fire and water dominant chart because I have a lot of planets in fire signs and a lot of planets in, well, cancer specifically. <laughs> so <laughs> I was a very watery water sign. But um, 
so yeah, that's interesting for me. But let's do, if we could just go through for people to have a takeaway here on the elemental piece. Yeah, totally. So you know, fire, which and I'm just going in the order of the wheel of the year, which the astrological year starts in Aries season. So it's interesting to even think about how these four elements sort of align, you know, in the wheel of the year where fire kind of comes out. It's like the big bang. It comes out of nothing. It's all about that self-significance principle, that here I am principle. And in this sort of pack, we have the signs of Aries, Leo, and Sagittarius. And not to get too complex, but um, each of the elements also have a modality. So one of them is a cardinal sign, which initiates action. Uh, one of them is a, a fixed sign, which stabilizes. And then one of them is a disseminating immutable sign, which falls away. And these are just the order of the seasons. So the cardinal sign starts the season. The fixed sign is sort of the full flower, the center of a season. And then the mutable uh, is the season falling away. So we have cardinal Aries, um, fire, uh, fixed fire, Leo and mutable fire, Sagittarius. And then the second um, grouping, we have earth, that comes that that comes out of fire, you know, that sort of like grounds us back down in physical form and materiality and tangibility. And we have the signs of Taurus and Virgo and Capricorn, um, respectively, fixed, uh, mutable, and cardinal. And then the next grouping we have are air kitties. This is the sort of changeable, breathable, uh, threshold crossing exchange in you know mental realm. Um, and we have the three signs of Gemini, mutable, um, Libra, cardinal, and Aquarius fixed. And then lastly, we have water, which closes it all out, takes us across the threshold, kind of um, releases us, uh, lets us go into the into the ether. And we have the three signs of Cancer, um, cardinal. Scorpio fixed and Pisces mutable. So with that information, you can then take it away, have a look at your birth chart, which is very easy to find online. You can just like, literally type in what is my birth chart or calculate my birth chart. There are tons of places you can get that. And it will list the different planets that you have in the different signs. And typically charts are dominant in one or two of the elements over others, which just shows that actually our nature is to be quote unquote unbalanced. And our nature is to have because guess what? Life gives us stuff to work on. That's yeah. like part of the point of being human, right? <laughs> yeah, like otherwise we'd just us. be like... Life gives us <laughs> friction and it gives us like, here is an area for you to grow. And looking at our, knowing our astrology is just another way to give language to stuff that we might have impulses or inclinations towards trying to understand better about ourselves already. And then when we see it in black and white in a birth chart, it really is a permission slip, I find oftentimes to be like, actually, yeah, my intuition about this part of my life is, is showing up here too. So I'm going to dedicate some yeah. time to doing some work here and I'm going to take this seriously, you know? Yeah. And it's both that kind of honoring, that kind of honoring of the intactness of ourselves and then the reach, the evolutionary reach. And, you know, I think, and I think it's probably Liz Green, the psychological astrologer. I think she writes about this a lot, but, you know, for each of the, the four elements, there's a different basis of reality. It's like, if you're talking to a very, very fire heavy person, like doing the laundry or like paying a bill, like may feel like death, you know, it may feel like, you know, and then, and then a very earth heavy person will be like, get your shit together. Like, what are you talking about? Like we have different basis of like reality and what we value and what we, we find to be true. So it's both that kind of acceptance and then that reach. 
Um, and another thing I would say not to get too intermediate about it, but when you're looking at your chart, start really simply in terms of like figuring out that elemental balance for you. Start with your sun, moon rising, just that trinity and see what elements are pr present there. Because when we go out, I mean, once we go into sort of the next layer of planetary energies, Mercury, um, Venus and Mars, we still have something that's quite personal to us. But then when we start to move beyond that, we get into these planets that move a bit slower through the signs and start to get more and more generational. So they might not be as, as indicative by element as sort of like our elemental base. So really kind of stay close to those first three. And then maybe if you're like, well, I've got one air, one water and one fire in my sun, moon rising, then maybe looking at Mercury, Mars and Venus to sort of, you know, kind of figure that out. And it's also interesting to play with um, Myers-Briggs, which is like totally connected to Jung's um, four functions, which is astrology, the elements, and those functions are intuiting sensing and um, thinking and feeling, which are the four elements, intuiting being fire, sensing being earth, um, thinking being air and feeling being water. Nice. Yeah. I haven't tried that one yet. Yeah. Yes. So if you're like an IN, like, what are you, Ruby? You're a INFJ. Oh, and I'm an ENFJ. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> so is Alexandra, my other like most long time kind of like collaborator. How interesting. Yeah. So you can play with that too. Yeah. And seeing how this is manifesting and also how it's just like manifesting for you in this moment today, like which of these four elements, you know, sounds like, oh yeah, I could reach for that in this moment, or that's something that, you know, I covet or, or sounds to me to, to be appealing on some level. So there are two other places I really want to go in terms of speaking about the astrology. And I think considering we don't have a ton of time, I want to give people again, um, some, some points that they could look at in the chart um, just to take away, but perhaps we can go through these quickly because what I really, really want to do is look at some of the bigger transits that we are going through collectively currently. Cause I do think it's very interesting. Like, Hey, there wouldn't have been a conference like sober voices even five years ago, even like definitely not 10 years ago. You know, the fact that we're in this moment when so many of us are feeling called or feeling moved, let's say, to look at our substance abuse, to look at what's going on in our inner life, to look at, you know, subjects like kind of intergenerational healing and like all of these sorts of um, larger kind of like factors, like cultural and social kind of trends that are swirling at the moment that are actually allowing conversations like this around a, a more expansive conversation around addiction recovery, what that even means, like what wellness even is, et cetera. And I think there's some interesting astrological larger transits happening that I think could give some to take it out of the nitty gritty, give anybody who's listening just some interesting kind of like hmm, things to chew on. Mm -hmm. But really quickly, for me, the key kind of like placements to look at in your birth chart would be your moon sign, which speaks very much to like, what do I, what do I need on an emotional level? And so often substance use, as I kind of touched on, can be around like giving ourselves, trying, attempting to give ourselves something that we're not experiencing otherwise. Um, Neptune, which is very much around sort of like escapism and connection to a higher power. We might have something to say on that. Chiron, which can show a point of wounding or, or in, in a shame that we're perhaps trying to mask or, or turn away from. And then anywhere that Pisces shows up in the chart um, can also be a real indicator of where we might be reaching for something, reaching for a way to kind of like escape from the mundane kind of the reality of life well yeah the mundane reality rather than like the total reality yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So yeah, I wonder if, the, I mean, those would be my four things to look at. Um, would you have any to add to that? Yeah, I mean, everything. Yeah, of course, well, yeah, play, obviously, but, everything. Every, obviously everything. But yeah, I think I would say two things. I think the moon sign is really interesting um, because there is this part of the moon that's really about giving ourselves like what you need, that kind of nourishment, that kind of like, we got to get the moon good. It's like, we got to get the kid fed before we like fuck with anything else basically in the chart. And so it's like connecting to the moon, I think is a really powerful sort of send, you know, center point in that conversation. Mm -hmm. And also I think using the moon sign to look at how you cycle and how you change, you know, because the moon, obviously we, we, even if we just know the, the actual moon, it goes through these different shifts. And I think for me, it's been a powerful kind of healing to look at what, you know, I'll just take my own moon as an example, moon and Leo, like, what does it look like for moon and Leo to cycle? I mean, Leo is very solar lit. It's very fire. So I like, I have these periods that are either total sunlit or like total cloud cover, total darkness and like figuring out what that kind of manic. And I don't mean manic in a clinical sense, but that kind of swing looks like, and, you know, maybe you're a moon in, um, you know, Pisces, that's, it's much more of these kind of subtle constant shifts and constant sort of fluctuations. And just looking at that kind of expanse, because I think that can be really useful as a kind of mooring point at the same time as the moon's fluctuating. It's also teaching us how we fluctuate in a kind of repetitive way. Um, so that can be useful. And I think the second layer I might put on it is to look at, and without taking too much time to do this, but to look at your orientation toward the outer planets. And even if you have no idea what this means, you can just sort of like listen into each of these outer planets and be like, oh, okay, I resonate with that or I don't with that. And when I speak about the outer planets, I'm speaking about Uranus or Uranus, as the kids say now, um, Neptune um, that, that Ruby's touching on and Pluto. And all three of these, I think, represent really three flavors of like kind of overwhelm and getting moved, you know, by, you know, unseen forces or forces beyond our, you know, egoic kind of will. And um, they arrive in different ways. You know, Uranus, we might think of as just sort of like that moment in February where I just woke up and I was like, boom, over, sober, like done, like these kind of like about faces that happen in our lives and Neptune, this kind of dissolving energy, this kind of period where we feel like we can't maybe see the edges of things. And we're just sort of navigating nocturnally and Pluto, this celestial surgeon that comes in and really excavates and kind of digs in and digs up. So I think either looking, if you're a little more advanced, looking at where these three energies are in your chart, or if you're starting out, just like kind of considering those reading about each of those archetypes a little bit and being like, Oh, kind of, where do I, because we all have like one that we might be a little bit more comfortable with. And then not that we're ever really comfortable with any of those energies. And then one that we might be like, you know, and I think, I think it can just be interesting around this conversation around like will and control and loss of control and all of those kinds of things that sometimes come up in a journey around addiction or recovery and to kind of play with those or keep those in our consciousness. Well, I'm glad that you brought them up because those are the three, I was looking at the, the, those three transits actually, because these were, these are the generational planets. So when these planets are kind of moving through the sky, they're sort of influencing culture and influencing us as a collective with, in terms of where they're at. And I was actually just looking at, you know, we've had Neptune in its home sign of Pisces since 2012. We've had Uranus in Taurus since 2018. And we currently have Pluto making a slow trip through Capricorn, oh, where yeah. we're, the, U, the United States is in the midst of its Pluto return, which is an incredibly powerful death rebirth 
cycle, you know, for this nation, actually, for people who are here based in the United States. Like when I look at the just deep excavation that is happening currently um, in the soil of this country, you know, in terms of our understanding about like what we're here for and and, and how, what, what needs to change in order for us to kind of like really move forward. Yeah. It makes so much sense that we're just in this in, incredibly intense, intense period. Yeah. And so actually when I look at those three places, Neptune and Pisces, it's home sign, Uranus and Taurus, perhaps you could just like speak to a, a little bit to these larger transits and how these might be influencing collectively our views on substance use, abuse, um, our views on our kind of like physical interaction with the world and just kind of, yeah, how they're shaping our, our, our I guess, our collective healing as well at this moment. Yeah. It's a tall order. It's a <laughs> tall order. 10 minutes to go. <laughs> <laughs> Speak to the collective transit. Okay. Um, so I think um, for me, Uranus and Taurus and is, is really about um, creating conditions of ease like being willing to uh, redo and rethink how, and I, when I say ease, I don't mean making things easy, but can we like reach for a more easeful, more kind of like bodysuit way of being in the world um, as we move, you know, through this experience. And I think there's a lot of questions for a lot of people in their journey around substance uh, about that. And I think for me, at least, you know, it's been at the center of my journey often of like, okay, what would be more easeful in this moment to the body, you know, for the body? And, you know, Taurus is really this kind of rich, fertile, fecund earth sign that's really about a sense of worthiness, a sense of being full up, a sense of being filled kind of from the inside, a sort of anti-scarcity mentality sign at a very high, high octave, um, you know, of energy. And then Uranus coming in and invigorating and electrifying how we see that, you know, how we see how those needs are getting met, you know, how we need to start taking fucking responsibility for meeting in the, them in ourselves so we can then go out and serve and show up to do what we came here to damn well do. Um, and to really make sure that that comes from a place of that sort of innate inner fullness. And um, Neptune and Pisces, I don't know if I can even like speak to this one because it's the unspeakable <laughs> realm, you know, but I think it's like, you know, to a certain degree, collectively um, figuring out how we orient in unseeable or unknowable territory. And I think this is a big question, you know, in terms of inquiry around recovery and substances, because, you know, sometimes it's just like sort of this reaching for that because it's like this feeling of like total overwhelm and I may, made as, might as well just get pulled under, you know, like, okay, just take me, take me, you know, and this sort of like throwing up of the hands and like what that conversation looks like around being kind of on the edge of that letting and that, um, you know, and that sort of self-guided action. And also like what allows us to dream and hope and like imagine and fantasize, you know, because a lot of, I think what this kind of heightened sensation or whatever our realm of substance engagement sometimes we're seeking is like imagination, you know, or like alternate realities or, you know, any of those kind of Piscean realms where we can sort of move out of our body. It's almost the antithesis of Taurus. And so balancing those two principles and how those needs get met. And then lastly, Pluto and Capricorn, um, you know, I think a lot about the tarot, I'm a tarot reader as well. And, you know, if, if listeners ended up taking um, the 
amazing tarot workshops that have been offered in this series too. You can tap back into those, but each tarot card has a different astrological ruler. And when I think about Pluto and Capricorn, Pluto in the tarot is ruled by the awakening card or the, um, the judgment card, it's called in most decks. And uh, Capricorn is ruled by the devil. And it feels like a real, um, for me, the devil energy really um, is about, first and foremost, is about a kind of self-sovereign um, repurposing of our right to like decide kind of how, um, like, like call the shots, basically. And I don't mean that from an egoic place, for, but from a like, what has a hold on me versus like what I can actually like exercise the responsibility to like get a hold of. And so it's like a, you know, it's a collective reckoning around um, what we've given authority to, you know, what we've given authority over to that's been grossly misaligned sometimes and, and how we sort of re-territorialize ourselves and re-accept responsibility for the bits of our lives that we're meant to, um, you know, have dominion over in some ways. Mm, that's mm. fascinating. I had forgotten or perhaps wasn't particularly aware that that um, Capricorn is the devil card and the devil card in tarot does speak to it's typically kind of associated with addiction because what you're describing is like this giving away of our power to something outside of ourselves until it ultimately feels like it is controlling us and actually with Pluto planet of you know real deep excavation or like transformation there we're really being asked to kind of dig up anywhere that that has been occurring for us collectively but of course the collective is made up of us individuals so we're all as individuals so we're all individually being invited into that by this larger transit that's occurring at the moment I think that's mm -hmm. fascinating and for me as well like the you know the Neptune in Pisces it was really interesting to note that it had this transit had begun in 2012 which was the year that I launched the Numinous and I do think there's been a mass awakening around spirituality like what is my what is spirituality for me what is my connection to a higher power like for anyone who's familiar with 12-step verbiage so it, it this is a spiritual program right you know and I can as even as a non-12-step really relate to that um the need to be able to 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 trust in and to feel like I'm kind of like held by a higher power like something yeah. greater than me and that it's actually safe to surrender and just be carried by life and that I don't have to be to be gripping and controlling and that things are just kind of like life is sort of happening through me. And so I think the Neptune and Pisces transit has been very much about a lot of, a lot of us kind of, yeah, trying to, or, or feeling called to our own definition of higher power, our own definition of like what spirituality is. And, and, and yeah, I think that the, um, you know, looking at our, the way that we've been using substances to feel a connection to something bigger than ourselves is a part and parcel of that, particularly when you layer it against what you were describing about Uranus and Taurus being a real kind of like throwing out of anything that's not working in terms of how we're getting our safety, our security, our, you know, how we're feeling sated, what abundance means to us. And then the, um, Pluto and Capricorn, where have I been giving my power away? So it seems to me like these three larger transits working, together yeah I've really been guiding this big shift around like a return to a kind of yeah genuine sense of like having a spiritual connection to the world um in a way that isn't kind of isn't giving away our power and that also isn't kind of seeking yeah seeking fulfillment from 
un what's the word unsafe resources yeah or yeah sources that are unsustainable in some way yeah that was actually the word I was looking for too though (laughs) yeah this kind of build too and not that it has to be in a linear sense but it's like we got to full fill up from we got to get sated first in Taurus and Uranus and Taurus and then we sort of inquire around you know what's calling the shots all of that and then then we get to open into the spec the spec status to be safe enough to be like little specs in the cosmos you know to Mm -hmm. then kind of open up our circuitry in that way. Yeah. 2012 was also the year when I started practicing astrology professionally. So there we go. There we go. Yeah. (laughs) There we go. It all checks out. (laughs) (laughs) So when you layer all that together, I mean, it feels like, can feel like a really big ask, right? It's a heightened, it's a heightened time that we're living through. And just to kind of circle back to how we can use astrology in our daily lives to kind of help us as we navigate this path and we try to also just be a human being paying the bills with, you know, all of our stuff going on. Um, how any sort of like final words on how, how we can use astrology just as a tool to support ourselves kind of in our daily lives. Yeah. I think, um, I think it's really about, for me, the thing that's just coming forward in this moment is that, this is an ongoing practice and an ongoing inquiry. I mean, you and I have been working with our charts since we were little kids and you don't need to be, have been working with your chart since you were a little kid, but like there's stuff that I uncover or an archetype that I encounter in a different way every freaking day, you know? And so it's like seeing this as also as sustainable. It's not like, okay, I'm going to just do like birth chart 101 and then I'm going to like figure everything out and then I'm going to like crack the code and figure my, you know, and there's, of course, there's those moments of like awakening and exhilaration around, um, around, you know, figuring out a certain facet of the chart or whatever, what have you, but seeing this as an ongoing inquiry, the same way that you might turn to a tarot deck or an Oracle deck and like pulling a card each day, you know, maybe making that a sort of ongoing practice where you're like, okay, I'm learning about these signs and symbols. Uh, Maybe I'm just going to start with the moon and I'm going to spend a week where each day I ask my moon sign or find out something about that. What I, how I could sort of serve at the altar of that, because we're sort of attending. It's like, we've got all these little cosmic kitties in the chart and we're like, what would you like today? You know, would you like a glass of water? Would you like this? And, you know, we can, I think there can be a tendency when we work with astrology, especially if we're just starting out to feel really overwhelmed with like what's happening right now. Like, oh my God, the moon's in Sagittarius. And oh no, this transit just happened. We're in the new moon, we're in the full moon and all that kind of language. And it can be, I think it can be useful to try to sort of strip that down and to maybe start to think about it just based on seasons. Like right now we're in Libra season, you know, and we're going to be here for a few more weeks, what what have you till um, 20 something of October. So maybe starting there around, okay, this month, this 28 day period, what have you, um, I'm just going to sort of hold that energy or work with that, the, that archetype this month and seeing, do I have any planets in that sign? Oh no, or I do, or, and then using that as sort of a launch pad for integrating that particular energy and remembering that you can always strip it down elementally. If you get nothing else, like even if you're trying to practice with reading a chart and starting to see it, just remember that these, you know, first and foremost, these are just four elements. And then secondly, I would say that even if you're starting to get into a more advanced practice with astrology, they're really just 12 signs, like the first house, Mars, Aries, they're all like related to the same zodiacal principle. So the more that you, I think, are able to really 
dip into the territories of each of those 12 signs and learn them kind of in a multifaceted way. Um, but yeah, I think just sort of rising to meet the moment each day and saying like, oh, this is going to be an ongoing practice. This doesn't need to be like a one and done. I'm just going to learn this. I mean, even if you don't want to dedicate your you know whole life to the study of astrology, but that you can just sort of or you can practice like with the moon as the moon cycles through each sign every two and a half days or so be like, okay, I'm going to take this two and a half day period to investigate moons in, you know, Scorpio right now. What's that all about? Okay. Just taking that on, sort of trying it on. And rather than trying to be like, okay, the moon's in Scorpio and it's conjunct Uranus and we're over here. And then I'm putting that on my chart and like get adding all of these extra layers on, which can be, you know, super fun to play with it eventually. But, you know, remembering that these are, these are very basic energies. And the last thing I'll say is also to remember that this is like learning a language the same way that you would learn any other language. So moving out into the world and learning to call things by their name, the same way if you were learning Spanish, you'd learn what the word for lamp was in Spanish. You have to learn what a lamp is in astrology. Um, and it might be, I mean, you can play with this. There's interpretation, you know, it could be that it's Libra. It could that it's, be that it's bringing clarity, that it, you know, that it illuminates something. It could be that it's Aquarius energy, that it's turned something from like darkness to sudden light or, you know, what have you, and just sort of playing around with these, um, these words of these, these zodiac signs in daily life and identifying things that way. Which ultimately what you're describing kind of brings us back to what you were saying before, which is about actually bringing all of our senses on board to live a more multi-textured kind of like experience of life, to engage with the world in a way that's not just about consuming information yeah. and processing information, but actually feeling who we are in the world and how that, that feeling tone of our experience shifts day to day, hour to hour sometimes. And that's actually okay. That's part of life. That's how the world is. Like, you know, someone texted me this morning going, I'm in New York. The weather's amazing. And I was like, yeah, this September sunshine is a mood. This is a mood. This is to me, yeah. it's a very Libra mood. Cause it yeah. just feels very kind of like, ah, everything is good, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which is one aspect of Libra kind of energy. Uh, so yeah. yeah. And then another aspect of it for someone else might be like, whoa, it feels super brittle and kind of like crispy. And like, I'm seeing a lot and maybe I don't want to see, you know, that like that kind of clarifying principle of Libra is like, whoa, I can really see the edges mm. of things now. Mm. And mm. yeah. Mm. And just playing, playing with what that is and what that is in your physicalized experience. I love that. Just to finish up while we have a couple of minutes, um, I do have a 12-step friend who really had a moment of like, wait a minute, astrology is your higher power. <laughs> astrology is your higher power, isn't it? That's really, really cool. And I was like, well, I guess actually in some ways, yes, astrology is something that I can connect with daily that reminds me I'm part of something so much larger, something that I will never understand fully with my little human brain and that I can only really surrender my experience to and just show up for in whatever capacity, you know? And I wonder, um, and this person has bought astrology for dummies and they are now, I want to learn astrology, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I wonder if you've had any thoughts thinking about your, um, your own experience with yeah, your own experience with drinking, not drinking around that kind of higher power element of astrology yeah. as a practice. Yeah, like what is the face of your God? And I don't mean God and, mm. you know, a reductive or whatever. People have different interpretations of that word. But when you were saying astrology is my higher power, I was thinking like in my relationship to it, I think that's been true as well. And it's been true that astrology for me is no different than life itself. 
And so then really staying close to the grain of life becomes my God and God is everywhere. It's like, because I've, I've sort of relanguaged my world through the lens of astrology, I look out and I'm like, oh, that tree, hey, Taurus friend, hey, Venus, whatever the principle is. And then it's like, it loops back on itself. So I'm both like, low to the ground and sort of responding, you know, it's not like rather than there being a higher power, that's some like force that's going to come in from the wings and like, you know, take or make or destroy or anything like that, that it's kind of like imminent maybe rather than transcendent for me, just particularly that it comes Mm. out of the animation of the thing, like up and out, um, you know, versus or not versus, but alongside, I think astrology can also connect us to the transcendent to the out, the out there-ness and also the immediacy. And I think we all have sort of a relationship maybe to higher power if we relate to that concept somewhere along that continuum, you know? And I think for me, it's like, yeah, it has given me a sense of higher power through a kind of immediacy of relanguaging the world and re-injecting it with this kind of poeticism and this connectivity. Do we want to touch in with this question? I think it's a good one, maybe. Um, I, I love this question. Yeah, but yeah. Let's do it. This is a juicy one. Do you want to go? Yeah. You want to go there first? And okay. I'll- Tag team you. So the question is, what is the role of Chiron? So Chiron, the archetype of Chiron is the wounded healer. And this points to a place in our experience of life where we may have experienced some kind of wounding, like a, a core wounding, which is the, the piece, the pain point that we're, that we're here to sort of work on, like the, the key pain point. But the invitation with Chiron is that when we really are able to lean into that work and really are able to integrate this piece, um, then we have the opportunity to really, um, yeah, use it to teach and to help to heal others and to help bring some medicine into the world through what we've experienced in terms of our own healing in that area. That's my understanding of Chiron. Um, And the other interesting thing about Chiron, I can't remember the timeline of this, but um, Chiron was only quite recently given planetoid status. It was seen as an asteroid, but it recently was given a higher status in the kind of, you know, um, astronomical lexicon. And there is a theory that when different sort of planetoids, <laughs> different celestial kind of more, um, bodies come into um, come into our consciousness and awareness is the time that we collectively are ready to work with their energies as well, which I think is quite an interesting thing. Thinking again about what we were saying about what we're kind of cycling through collectively around our healing process. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the only thing I would add maybe um, to Chiron is that, you know, and not to get into Saturn too much, but I think that there's like, there's sort of tender points in the chart. There's just sort of like, you know, we're just like, we press on that place and we're like, "Mm, I don't know if that signs for me, or I don't know if I'm going to get that. I don't know if I'm going to get sort of that in this lifetime. And so we can develop lots of different coping mechanisms for thinking like, oh, I'm going to like throw my Chiron sign into the, I don't need that anyway, or I really want that, but I'm I'm never going to get it and all that kind of feeling. And I think for me, the distinction may be a little bit between the Saturn sign, which is also kind of a tender place is the Saturn sign asks us to really build a lot of like conscious muscle around that and like competence around that area. And for me, Chiron, not that we're not building and changing and working through it, but it's the work of acceptance. It's like the work of like, there's a, there's a part of me that might not be ever made like right, quote unquote, and it doesn't have to be. It's just like to hold that in my consciousness and to know that whatever I have my Chiron, you know, whatever my Chiron is placed in by sign, you know, by house, um, that that's just like, that's just going to be a place, you know, where when I touch in with that, 
it might be like, ooh, that feels a little like, yeah. and just to use that as sort of a gateway for, you know, compassion and compassionate inquiry. And, you know, it feels very connected to me. Astrologers always love to fight over the rulership of Chiron or not fight, but have vibrant conversations around it. You know, for me, it feels like a mashup of like the Virgo Pisces axis and astrology and both those energies around, um, you know, responding to kind of pain points or tender points and, um, trying to invite them in, even if we can't kind of sort them or fix them because they don't need to be fixed. What you're talking about in terms of self-accept, like acceptance is so antithetical to kind of our Western approach to healing, which is go in there, fix the problem, cut it out, throw it away. Like, yeah. you know, whereas this is a much kinder, more compassionate approach to, yeah, the pain points and the tender plots of our life experience if we can really cultivate, it's so much about kindness, yeah. you know, if we can give ourselves enough kindness to be able to accept the parts of ourselves that we cannot change. Yeah. So I feel like there's always AA speak coming out today. I know. But like, if we really can show ourselves the kindness and the self-compassion to say, hey, there's this part which is kind of eh, and that's okay. And it's part of me. And I, and I'm going to accept this as part of myself. That's, that's huge. Because again, so often, what are we reaching for when we're reaching for a substance to take us out of ourselves is to take us away from those parts that we cannot yeah. accept and that we have so much shame around as a result. Yeah. And that astrology places us in this field of like a huge network of causes and conditions that it's not just like, okay, this thing created this thing and then I'm going to fix this thing and then I'm going to get over here. It's this nonlinear. It like lifts us out and says like, okay, sometimes it's about your will. Sometimes it's about higher power. And then there's this huge range in between that allows us to um, to, yeah, kind of dissolve the sense that I've either got to do it and fix it and sort it, or it's going to be done to me and like breaking out of that axis of being and like seeing like, wow, there's all of these, you know, not, not that it's like my Pluto made me do it or my, you know, Neptune in the whatever house, like caused my addiction, that there's all of these factors that are sort of contributing and texturizing and allying with us to create different stories at different moments and that we're just sort of asked to turn and attend to each of them to see this to see it not as like a fault or a fixing or a right or a wrong I think you know more broadly Thank speaking you so much this has been just fascinating and I could obviously speak to you about this stuff all day <laughs> yeah we often do <laughs> So Bess, thank you again for coming on, sharing your wisdom and sharing your um, very human um, and accessible approach to astrology. I hope that people listening have got some really juicy points to take away with them so they can, um, yeah, dive in for themselves. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, as always, for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please do share it with a friend and leave a review wherever you are listening as it just helps more people find the series. As always, this podcast features original music and is edited by alloaudio.com. That's A-L-O-E audio.com. tuned in the whatever house like caused my addiction that there's all of these factors that are sort of contributing and texturizing and allying with us to create different stories at different moments and that we're just sort of asked to turn and attend to each of them to see this to see it not as like a fault or a fixing or a right or a wrong I think 
you know, more broadly speaking. Thank you so much. This has been just fascinating. I could obviously speak to you about this stuff all day. (laughs) We often do. (laughs) So Bess, thank you again for coming on, sharing your wisdom and sharing your um, very human um, and accessible approach to astrology. I hope that people listening have got some really juicy points to take away with them so they can, um, yeah, dive in for themselves yeah thank you thanks for having me thanks everyone and thank you as always for being here if you enjoyed this episode please share it with a friend and leave us a five-star review on itunes to help more people find this series this podcast is edited and features original music by aloeaudio.com that's a-l-o-e audio.com 